Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. In today's episode, finally catching up with the most recent episode of Barry. I actually put the Barry recap into last week's succession episode, so do check that out. It is the beginning of that episode, but I decided to break it out. I think the succession conversation went long, and of course, not everybody who's watching Barry is watching succession. This will probably be a relatively short recap here. It's just me, your host, Victor, walking you through the plot and my thoughts on it. And maybe we'll have more of these standalone episodes where we cover just one show, just one topic at a time. Let me know if you like the format change. It will probably be sporadic depending on what is out there to discuss. But I do have plans starting in June of having other ways to have the shorter content available to you. So stay tuned. There'll be announcements after we wrap up these current set of shows. This, of course, is May. This is the deadline month for Emmy consideration. And there are so many shows out there. Most of them that I was planning on covering, I've kind of already discarded. They really weren't either that interesting or thematically interesting enough to really get into, break down. But I may come back with just final thoughts when we get to the end of this month and maybe things I've missed that I'll catch up on in the near future. Maybe you want to catch up on during the summer. Stay tuned for all of that. If you haven't caught up on our Succession conversation that published just a couple of days back, of course, anyone who's a Succession fan is waiting with bated breath for these final episodes, even the critics, which have not seen screeners of these yet. Of course, also coming to a conclusion for the season, not permanently, it has already been renewed for another season, is Yellow Jackets, which we are also covering here. And that episode should come out sometime during Friday, hopefully by your drive time home, depending on when Sona and I can have that conversation. Okay, let's start with Barry, season four, episode five, Tricky Legacies. So as I mentioned in previous recaps for this show, the real fascination from Hayter and Alec Berg and the other creators of the show seems to be performance. Of course, as an actor, Bill Hader probably thinks all the time about how he has to inhabit performance as part of making this show itself. But the show, especially in this season, has embraced this idea of performance as existence. The simple fact that all of us play some kind of role for each other, within our relationships, within our work lives. And you see it with Kusano, who, for example, can only be a successful person when he is performing. As a human being, detached from his need to perform, he's a complete disaster. And we can say that for all of the characters here. Of course, we've seen Hank just last week. Is he the sociopath unleashed now, finally, as he said in that episode? He really does seem to have come to that understanding. Or is he really this gentle soul who is just, by circumstance, has shoehorned himself into this lifestyle? And the fates of Gene and the fates of Hank, and Fuchs as well, by the way, are not explored in this episode. We do see a little bit of Gene, but we'll get around to that. Primarily, what we see here is what has happened to Sally and Barry in the subsequent eight years. Any question in the final moments of last week, which I actually had, it wasn't actually until I heard an interview with Bill Hader, where he acknowledged the fact that we are jumping now eight years into the future, that I actually had that confirmation for myself. Many viewers, I assume, had the same experience of thinking, is this some kind of fantasy sequence yet again, even though it would be strange to put that as the bumper at the end but in those final moments where we see Sally and Barry and their son, it did raise the question as to whether what we were seeing was real or not. Well, now we know that it is indeed true. 
we have jumped eight years into the future. Sally and Barry and their son live out in the middle of nowhere, which gives us a few things all at once. This is the fantasy that Barry had, this domestic fantasy of his life with Sally that he had all the way back in season one. It also, from what we can see, matches his upbringing, where we saw flashbacks of him with his father in this desert-like landscape. So he has reverted back to his fantasy, reverted back to his childhood. And of course, it is practical also. We see at the very end of the episode and multiple times before then as well, that he can see anyone coming from miles and miles and miles away. Their house is in the middle of nowhere and there are no roads to be had. They need to walk long distances just to get to their neighbor's house. So wherever this is, whether it's Arizona, some desert landscape, not sure if they've explained where it is specifically, wherever they are, they are far enough from anybody that he'll see them coming. In the opening scenes of the episode, we pick up immediately where we left off last week, Barry and his son, Barry as Clark. Clark Kent, maybe a reference here with his glasses on. And when he takes off his glasses, he's going to turn back into Super Barry. And by the way, just to close that circle, Sally is going by the name Emily. Barry takes John to apologize to his friend. The offense here that led to the fight was the fact that he didn't know, John that is, did not know what Call of Duty was. The neighbor basically could not believe that this is possible. Barry lets them know that this is a no-no. Video games not allowed in their home. They shake hands and John says, I hope that we can be together next time in harmony. Something that he's been coached to say by Clark slash Barry. The neighbor dad says, we'll look into that. <laughs> Barry thinks he can run away from his past here by making this new family unit and fixing the things in himself through his child. I mean, this is what we all do as parents. I think to some extent, some people are way more into this than others. I tried my best to not impose my own anxieties and shortcomings onto my daughter or expect her to correct them for me. But it's hard. It's hard to not see your shortcomings in your kids and then try to correct them. Barry here is trying to nip them all in the bud. No video games in the house, no violent video games. Is he somehow thinking that by controlling his son's upbringing so fully, by being able to control all the media he consumes, all his friends, all of his interactions, that he can somehow prevent what happened to him from happening to his son? I do really wonder about that throughout the course of this episode. Does he force his son to be so sheltered because he's truly terrified that what if the kid's in school and one of the assassins shows up? What if he's in school and he's interacting with a lot of kids? He just starts talking. People get suspicious. He's playing baseball. Someone gets a picture of him. It gets up on social media. Is he just paranoid that people will come for him or that his son might be in danger out in the open? Or is this like Dogtooth, for anybody who's seen that movie, where these parents just think if they can control everything that happens to their children, they can program who they will be in the future. Barry's trying his best, though. And honestly, what still makes Barry a sympathetic character, he has a really naive perspective on what being a good parent is. He's looking for role models. He goes to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> he seems to be surprised by... Abraham Lincoln's biography, <laughs> like what is going on with schooling in this country that all this is shocking information to him. Thank goodness for YouTube. Or maybe this just speaks to the fact that Barry wasn't a great student, or at least wasn't paying much attention. Barry does not work, apparently. Barry is performing once again. He is the doting dad. He is homeschooling his son, teaching him about Abraham Lincoln, 
Someone has to stay home with the son. So Sally is the breadwinner. And here she is putting on a wig, putting on an accent, working in a diner, performing yet again. So if you haven't picked up on this yet, everybody, this show is all about all the different performances we have to put on just to live our lives, whether it is a parent, whether it is a spouse. As we see over the course of this episode, Sally needs to prepare herself to go home and play the role of mother, play the role of wife to Barry. They've changed their names. She's wearing a wig in public. She is basically putting on a costume. This is all an exaggerated representation of the fact that we all have to put on a different face. You are having a bad day. You have to go to work. You have to look a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. You have to act like everything's fine. You need to put on your work face. You had a rough day at work. You're going to see the kids playing baseball. You have to go and be the doting dad again and put all that stuff behind you. So we're all constantly putting on different masks from day to day, from moment to moment. And here we are in the most overt possible way, representing these two folks on the run. And one of them explicitly an actress who is using her acting skills to hide in plain sight. A funny little detail while Sally is preparing to put on her performance, putting on her wig. Through the window, we see Barry and his son putting up some fence posts for why? I'm not sure they need a fence. I guess it's just to delineate the edges of the property. But very funny seeing Barry awkwardly trying to get his son to participate in this without first either injuring him with the hammer or then when reversing their roles, his son running off as he tries to strike the post. Sally is in a really, really bad place throughout the course of this episode. As she exits the house, she doesn't even say goodbye, just walks right past Barry and John watching some YouTube videos. Abe Lincoln again. At work, we have a very funny scene where she is taking the dinner order from one of their guests. One of the other waitresses walks over, politely puts on her waitress face, and then like a flip of a switch, turns to Sally and tells her, I need a Xanax <laughs> to get through the day. And Sally's right there with her. In the bathroom, we see them both taking a Xanax. Xanax during the shift, alcohol afterwards to dull the pain. We already saw this previewed last week as their son was opening the refrigerator to grab a beer to put against his bruised head. We see that six pack of beer and that six pack of wine. This is how Sally and Barry are getting through in their new life situation. Also in the bathroom, Sally's coworker mentions something. I don't know anyone ever needs to know this information, by the way. Bevel, one of the diner cooks, I believe, has been masturbating to Sally slash Emily. This coworker also mentions to Sally that she should come to the barbecue this weekend. Her daughter's having a party. She says, oh, well, you know, Clark's mom is around. She goes, oh, yeah, well, then bring everybody. Bring the whole family. Well, she's on all these machines. <laughs> it's like quite an elaborate ruse they're putting on here. But interesting, once again, that they're so insulated, they don't even want to run the risk of being seen in public. Once again, maybe this photo ends up on social media and they identify her. It's a very paranoid existence. I'm pretty certain they could probably get away with more interactions, although social media does make that complicated. But it just speaks to the fact that Sally, someone who craved attention so much, in a way, last week decided she wanted to reject that, is now in a circumstance where she cannot get any attention from anybody, except for maybe Bevel. <laughs> so there is a bit of a temptation there for her. She likes those bad boys although that doesn't really play out the way we'd expect. Bevel 
creepily ogles her. And when she has a moment to herself, she is stealing money out of the till as well. Some petty crime just to somehow spice up her life and also probably to pay for this large bottle of vodka. I like the conversation she has with Barry before going home. She needs to chug some vodka to prepare herself for what's to come. Barry, on the other end, is pretty optimistic. He is living the fantasy that he imagined before. Sally is just a prop inside that world. He probably assumes she is relatively happy with this circumstance, and I doubt she can have an honest conversation with him about it, considering this was her choice to run off with him. Interesting moment when they're all together having their chicken pot pie. Sally and Barry have polished theirs off, but John's looks to be a little undercooked, <laughs> looks to be frozen in the middle, not microwave for the correct amount of time. Maybe not surprising considering the fact that Emily slash Sally is wasted during this dinner conversation. Barry is still going on and on about Honest Abe. What a great role model he is. I'm not sure if the greatest achievement we can say is like, now he's on a penny and a lot of pennies can buy you a sock. <laughs> Maybe a sock with a lot of pennies. Thanks, Honest Abe. He's an intricate part of your life, John. That's what Barry says. That night, as John's trying to fall asleep, we overhear Barry and Sally fighting. He knew she was drunk, obviously. I like how he mentions, you have to stop drinking at work, he says to her. She says, I wasn't drinking at work. Well, yes, you were drinking after work, but still, you get the point, lady. She mentions that he drinks beer. And he says, yeah, I drank a couple, but I know when to stop. But you have to assume this is an ongoing concern for both of them. John overhears all of this. And we see them wrap up their night with what appears to be a ritual, watching on their separate devices. I guess we all do this, honestly. Who's ever watching the same thing at the same time nowadays? Barry's gone down an Abraham Lincoln rabbit hole on YouTube. And the next video he clicks on is finding out all the messed up shit that Abraham Lincoln said that's not in the history books. Meanwhile, Sally is hate watching Natalie's sitcom, Just Desserts. Which apparently at this point, if this is eight years later, this show's been on the air for years. This has been a phenomenal success for her. And is this the road not taken by Sally? Does she still hate her for having stolen the limelight away from her? Did she feel like that could have been her? She messed it up for herself. It's hard to know what's happening with Sally right now, whether she's glad to have escaped that world or misses it or wishes that life was hers. It's probably a combination of all those things because she's made this bed and now she has to lie in it, but she is not happy. She's miserable by her decisions, of course. And of course, the sad fact is that she's trapped partially by her child. I don't know if there's any chance in these last few episodes that she will try to escape from Barry. If she was alone, she could basically said, he kidnapped me. That's what happened. I'm running off. But can she do that with this child in tow? The next day on a live stream of some kind, the family attends a mass. The story that the preacher's telling is the story of Daniel in the cave with the lions. He's saying that the more you focus on your pain, the bigger it becomes. Daniel is terrified of being eaten by the lions. And the lesson here, apparently, of this story, according to this preacher anyway, is that Daniel needs to relax, go to sleep, and ignore the lions. God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I haven't heard this parable in a really long time, but that seems like contradictory to a lot of other stuff that is <laughs> common sense, honestly. I thought that God helped those who helped themselves, <laughs> not that God tells you to wait, wait for him to show up, 
when you're about to be eaten by a lion. Everything will be just great. <laughs> when Barry and Sally and John share their peace be with you, this actually is pretty tender. It seems like they do get some solace from this religious sermon. Then we have this great sequence. Clark and John walk together and discuss the sermon. Look at everything God's given us, John. It's beautiful. We got to honor it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Got to keep everything on God's land safe. Everything from the ants to the giant trees. There's giant trees? Oh, yeah. It's nuts. You know, you got to honor humans. You got to honor dad. Dad's got to honor you. What about mom? Mom? Sure. Got to honor mom. She cries a lot. Oh, yes. Yes, she does. But you know what? Like I've said, there's happy cry, and then there's sad cry, and then there's, uh, well, there's mom cry, and that can be very loud and scary. I feel like I have a pretty good way of talking her down. A couple of really funny things in this snippet of dialogue. They're walking through this complete desert landscape while Clark talks about all the beautiful things that God has given them. <laughs> like the reaction to giant trees. Oh yeah, there's giant trees. It's nuts. Which of course, John has never seen giant trees. He's only seen rolling plains of sand. I also like uh, Barry's all too quick. I don't know whether to call him Clark or Barry. I've probably called them both in this recap. His all too quick response that, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, mom cries. But John also sees some boys playing baseball. He wants to join in. Next, we see that John has met with the friend again, this neighbor friend again, that he seemed to be fighting with earlier, but they've patched things up as kids are wont to do, and he's teaching him how to play baseball. John's starting to get the hang of it. He can catch, kind of, kind of catch. I mean, my daughter at that age probably catches about the same. And the neighbor friend tells him, hey, the next time your dad's asleep, come on over. I'll teach you how to bat also. <laughs> Very funny here that, you know, John, as you start to be at that age, you start to ask questions like, is this a normal life that I'm living? He's got to have many, many suspicions. I mean, I'm assuming most of these kids do go to school and they probably talk about things that he has no concept of, not only Call of Duty. And John asks his friend, does your mom wear hair over her hair? <laughs> Barry's received an Amazon package with another Lincoln book. John asks, did you get that comforter I wanted? It's a little cold in the house. And Barry reminds John of the story of Jesus and the 5,000. They were all hungry. All they had was one loaf of bread, one piece of fish, and Jesus multiplied it all to feed them all. Isn't that great? John says, does that mean you got me the comforter? <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? Barry's interpretation of that story is, no, <laughs> God gives you what you need. So if he didn't give you a comforter, you don't need one and stop whining about it. <laughs> Thanks, dad. Barry notices the, the baseball glove and he's not happy about it. Son is trying to leave the nest, even the tiniest little movement outside the nest. Barry has to spring into action. He uses his favorite tool, YouTube videos, and goes down another YouTube rabbit hole showing hilarious baseball injuries. <laughs> these are children, apparently, according to the descriptions, these are kids dying, <laughs> being hit by baseballs, getting returned right into their faces, slamming into a wall when they're trying to go for a foul ball. And a great shot here of Hader looking sidelong at his son. Well, his son's face, also classic, terrified of these injury videos he's seeing. That night, John wakes up terrified. I don't want to get killed by a baseball. I'm doing my Gene Cousineau impression there. Sally tries to get Barry to wake up. Barry sleeps like a rock, apparently, does not wake up. 
and we see that she's the one who has to climb into bed and comfort John. Sally is extremely uncomfortable laying here in bed with her son. And I guess I'll bring it up here. I do wonder, is this actually their biological son? I could be completely wrong about this, but the kid seems a little too old. He'd have to be seven or younger, I guess, for the math to work out for these years, eight years on, assuming she didn't get pregnant immediately after they were on the lamb. And then there's this coldness she often shows to her son. You could imagine her getting much closer to the son, given their current circumstance. Then again, Sally's an incredibly selfish person, so maybe I'm wrong about all of that. And then the last part of it is, I just think to myself, she would have to go to a hospital to have this child. And if they can't even go to their neighbor's barbecue, how could she go to a hospital with security cameras? Would she have gone by herself? Who would have picked her up? They didn't want to share this information with their friends. They would have just recently been on the lam. Barry definitely couldn't have done it. And if that's the case, then did she give birth at home by herself? And if that's true, wow, this must have been an incredibly, incredibly traumatizing experience for her, which maybe does make her cold towards her son in this circumstance she put herself in. I'd love to see that. <laughs> like, how did that all play out? If she legitimately, this is legitimately her biological son, the thought of how insane that whole sequence of events must have been, I do hope we at least find out about it via some conversation, if not some flashback. Whether this is a kidnapped kid or maybe they killed his parent uh, when they were trying to escape accidentally, they were on the lam and adopted him, or she did give birth to it on her own at home, this all is terrifying <laughs> to, to, con to consider. All right, Sally is at work the next day or maybe right after work. Bevel is there. They're making eyes at each other. Sally starts asking questions. Tell me about your brother. His brother's in jail, apparently. He killed a teller while they were robbing a bank. She's goading him into saying he's a tough guy. You can just read that this is all made up. Not the story of his brother. That seems to be legitimate. But the tough guy he is, yeah, he's killed somebody. He's just trying to say this because it seems to be interesting, Sally, or Emily, as he knows her. Bevel's very turned on by her interest and proves it to her <laughs> through her, with her foot. I like his, her reaction where she's like impressive while she shrugs her shoulders. <laughs> and then he makes a sexual, more sexual innuendo, which she gets, <laughs> but he really keeps trying to sell it to her. She's like, yeah, nah, no, I get it. I got it. And then they head off to the bathroom. Apparently she's teasing him that she's going to pleasure him there. And for a second there, even in her total disinterest, I thought that she may just hook up with him because that's just what she's doing. She just wants to pass the time. She's bored. She probably has not had, she's probably not having sex with Barry anymore. And it's just a release for her. And maybe to some extent, she is attracted to this guy because she has a history of liking bad boys. So she wants to cast him in that role before she gets herself off or gets him off. But then it gets really interesting because she basically gets physical with him, starts to choke him, not in a sexual way, but in a potentially damaging way which terrifies him, which forces him to apologize to her, basically, as if she's getting revenge for having discovered that he's been fantasizing about her. You see how Sally can become a cold-blooded killer. Maybe she was empowered by that killing she committed last year, and she's trying to reconnect with that. Maybe she needs to cast this guy as a villain so she can see him in that light. And also, I think all these things are true at the same time, she may also simply be punishing herself as well. This is this supposedly dangerous man, the type of man she used to be interested in, used to attract her, used to make her feel safe like she does with Barry. And if she casts him in the role of this killer like Barry, 
and then she gets to injure him or control him, dominate him in some way, it's a release valve of a different kind for her because she can't do that in her relationship with Barry. So the psychology of this very strange interaction is really surprising. It says a lot about Sally's state of mind. When he's trying to get her hands off of his throat, by the way, he pulls off her wig and it does stop her. That does stop her. But I do wonder if it will raise other alarm bells within his mind as well. Barry's been doing more research on Abraham Lincoln, dark histories that he has, as well as all these other people, all these other heroes we have, the stories, the heroic stories we have about all of our historical figures, the narrative that's been created around them post facto, and realizes that everybody's done some pretty shady stuff. All these great men have skeletons in their closets, and the story has been rewritten. Once again, it's all a performance. It's all a story. How do we control that narrative? Barry's trying to control that narrative with his son, describing who he is, who his mom is, what their history is, the very world he lives in. He thinks he can control it to that extent. And as he says, tricky legacies, tricky legacies. The truth is not always the story we hear. So Barry wants to rewrite his legacy. He wants to rewrite his story in the eyes of his son. They're picking up some packages. I believe this is yet another Amazon delivery. And he says, hey, what's that over there? And it happens to be a shadow box with a photograph of him in his uniform and some of his mementos. And this is a great sequence. It begins with the fact that he starts telling his son, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you about my origin story. And they start doing it on the steps. And then, very interesting, very tellingly, he decides to bring it over to the porch swing. Because this is now a performance. This is staging. And it's better on the swing. The memory will be more impactful. This is where Barry tells him, I used to be Marine. People say the Marines are the best kinds of soldiers. Some people call me Marine. Some people call me a hero. I don't like putting labels on things. Of course not, Barry. That night, Sally and Barry, once again, looking at their separate devices. I'm sure Barry's still in his rabbit hole, looking at more, digging up more dirt on Gandhi and Abe Lincoln and everybody else who ever mattered historically, who had these dichotomies, of course, as everybody does, which is, of course, before I get to the final moments of the episode, which is, of course, the thing that Barry, in his simple-minded expectation, I'm a good guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm a good guy. He can never embrace the fact that there is nuance and dichotomies in people. There's good guys and there's bad guys. And somehow he has this very childish understanding of human nature. But maybe he's starting to understand that a little bit more here. So back to the show. They're sitting there, separate devices, and comes a knock on the door. Sally gets up, concerned. Barry goes to grab the gun, which is hidden inside the wall behind one of the pictures. He doesn't even remember which picture it's hidden behind. So it's been a while since they've had to take this type of action. Barry tells Sally to take John and get into the bathtub. There's been a second knock on the door along the way. Barry heads out the front door. Very ominous here, the camera tracking him from behind. During the day, the fact that this expanse creates this sight line where you can see into the distance for miles, it seems like. Now suddenly, they're in this void with just the lights around the house, creating just a small island of light around them. And everything beyond there is hidden from sight. Barry steps out to the edge of where the light is. We hear some whispering. We hear some giggling and then running. And we assume this is just ding-dong ditch, just some kids goofing around. But of course, what would be a relatively harmless prank to anybody else is an existential threat in Barry's mind. We see this great shot where 
Sally and John are curled up in the bathtub and we see the light change. It's morning. The birds are chirping outside. They've slept inside the tub. And Barry has stayed up all night long, haggard looking, and the sun has risen and they're still safe. Cut to the Warner Brothers lot. We see Mega Girls 4 is coming out and Sally's former acting student has upgraded from a supporting character in that series to the star, apparently, of this one. We see someone here, it seems to be the head assistant to the head of the studio, shows up at the front desk, and the security guard goes, there's someone here to see you. He says he's Gene Cousineau, and Gene is there. Long-haired, long beard. They pull up a picture of him on the internet. They don't think it's him. The security guard goes, I don't know. They're both old. (laughs) It could be. Gene's come out of the woodwork after many years, apparently, to talk to the head of Warner Brothers, warning him, if he's planning what I think he's planning, I need to talk to him. And I think what they're planning is to make a film about Barry Berkman. Back in the Barryverse, Sally's gotten Bevel fired and accused him of tapping the till. Of course, she's been tapping the till. And that night, Sally's watching Natalie be interviewed. A voice of a generation. This sitcom, people have grown up watching this sitcom. So important to so many people. Sally's facial expression still pretty inscrutable here. She doesn't really seem annoyed, maybe a little slack-jawed and shocked (laughs) by what? By Natalie being so poised, by the world she could have had, by the emptiness of it all. Not sure. Still unsure how to read her. I would assume, just knowing how we know Sally throughout the course of the show, that there's got to be some jealousy there. Maybe she's in denial of the jealousy, like, oh, how exhausting it would be to have to be doing these interviews all the time and doing these shows and promoting the show. It's how exhausting would that be? I can imagine her saying that, but deep down inside being jealous and furious that this wasn't her life. That would be my guess. But it is a little hard to read here. And I don't know if this is the direction the show's going to go in, but if she makes her escape, she can turn into a celebrity herself. While Sally is watching this interview with Natalie, very funny interview, by the way. We almost fired you the first year. You weren't a very good actress, but you were a kid. We see that Barry has taken the heart, this rewriting of his own narrative, recasting himself as the hero who saved his friend's life. When he was shot in the face, he turned up. He was a medic, saved his life, and did not seek revenge. Nope. The exact opposite of what actually happened. And just as he's in this moment of reverie, recasting his whole entire history and getting a very sweet I love you from his son, This is when Sally yells out, Barry, she's just gotten a Google notification for Barry Berkman. I love her screaming out, Barry. And John says, who's Barry? (laughs) Sally shows Barry the headline. It's about Gene. He's resurfaced and he, according to headline, is perhaps consulting on this Barry Berkman biopic. And Barry says, I'm going to have to kill Cousineau. And that sets up the rest of the season. Barry's going back to Los Angeles. He can't let Sally out of his sight, I'm sure. So they're all going back to LA. (laughs) What a can of worms. We still don't know where Hank is right now. Very curious to see, has he risen the ranks? Has he become the head of the cartel in Los Angeles? What is his current circumstance? I'm sure he is still devastated by Cristobal's death, whether he shows it or not. And if Barry turns up, is he going to start blaming Barry for some of his misfortunes? Oh, and Fuchs, of course. Where's Fuchs? Is he back in that village where he could have had that idyllic life last season? I'm sure he's going to get pulled back into Barry's orbit. Yeah, but if I had to sketch out where this thing's going to land at the end, I don't have a clue. And all for the good. 
But I do find this really fascinating to take this pause in the more than halfway through this season, of course, three more episodes to go now. But spending this time, this valuable final episodes, setting up this theme of performance in your day-to-day life, of rewriting your narrative, of rewriting your history, in your own mind maybe even, of using your children as a conduit to reframe your life, your personality, your achievements or lack thereof. So a very interesting, extreme way of exploring these themes, especially through the prism of Sally having made this drastic decision last week to not turn in Barry, but to run off with him, and now the consequences of that. And of course, most interestingly, perhaps, is the fact that Barry is clueless to what's happening to anybody else, because honestly, he is a sociopath, as we already know, and he's incapable of seeing what's actually going on in other people's minds. He's inside this bubble. It's like Pleasantville or something where there is a narrative playing out in his head and Sally's life and everybody else's life outside that bubble don't really exist. Not to him anyway. And that's the episode. So stay tuned for more short episodes the rest of this week, perhaps next week. Until we get to the end of this month, the schedule is going to be a little weird. There's a lot of shows that are wrapping up. I'll definitely be tuning in for the Ted Lasso finale, the Big Door Prize finale, the Mrs. Davis finale, all shows that are wrapping up just in the next couple of weeks, plus others as well that I'll probably have additional comments on, shows that I was on the fence about, have brought up a couple of times here and there, but I do want to circle back to them now that they're wrapping up. Still on the fence on a lot of these shows, by the way. And of course, kicking off coverage of Silo, as well as Class of 09, and of course, Yellow Jackets and Succession, and of course, Barry, this very show, are also wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for all of that. And I'll talk to you soon.